Welcome to the Unspoken Cycle Podcast, where women of all ages and stages in life can find guidance and solace from life's everyday stresses. In each episode, we'll tackle a range of topics, including relationships, health, fertility, self-love, careers, mental illness, and more. Stay Stay tuned tuned. for valuable insights, personal anecdotes, and the comfort of knowing you're not alone. alone. Here's your host, Leah Vaughn. My year has been breezing along having created amazing memories, and also celebrating a ton of successes, both personally and professionally, along the way. Until a failed IVF cycle and the sudden loss of our furry loved one right before Thanksgiving catapulted me into a cocoon of grief that I was not expecting at a time of the year that I really do look forward to the most. Join me on today's episode as I get vulnerable with you and honest about life's recent disappointments and talk about how I'm surviving and restoring my joy during an extremely difficult holiday season. Stay tuned. Hello, strangers. Welcome back to the Unspoken Cycle podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have been MIA for a few weeks quite unexpectedly. Um, I know I had taken a break right before my October series on domestic violence, and I had complete intentions of starting November out fresh, and I wanted to do a few podcast episodes talking about trauma and healing and how we kind of take our lives back and move forward um, and heal in a way that we're in, able to thrive again. And unfortunately, life happened. And so here I am today, just wanting to check in with y'all. This won't be a really long, drawn out episode, but I do want to share with you what I've been going through the last few weeks, because it's been a very difficult time in my life, unexpectedly. And I think this is a perfect example of how shit happens. And sometimes this shit leaves us feeling traumatized and alone and broken and sad. And it can be really difficult to figure out how to heal from that. Even just talking about it, I feel a frog in my throat, um, tears welling up in my eyes because, you know, we try so hard just to get through each day and, and maybe try so hard isn't the right expression, but you know, we push through every day and a lot of days are really great. A lot of days kind of smooth sailing. It's routine. It's from familiarity. It's just the humdrum of life. And we have things that we get excited for, that we look forward to. For me this year, I was able to take a couple of really amazing vacations with my wife. I was able to visit my daughter and help her get moved into her apartment for school, for college. Um, I've had some great things going on with family members, you know, uh, celebrations and successes. And my career has been going great. It's been a busy, busy year for me. I launched my podcast, you know, so many great things. And I think that when difficulty and tragedy um, insert themselves into the joy in our life, it definitely feels suffocating and isolating. Um, I know I'm not alone in the things I've experienced and what I've been going through, but it definitely has felt like that on a lot of days. And I've had to figure out how to 
cope, how to not fall apart, how to continue putting my feet on the floor each morning. You know, there's a quote from the movie Sleepless in Seattle, and um, I don't have the direct quote in front of me because I wasn't planning on using it today, but I'll kind of modify it a little bit from what I remember. But I remember searching for this quote when my mom passed away because grief is really hard and it can feel like you'll never breathe again. And um, it just can be really suffocating sometimes. And Tom Hanks in the movie was talking on the radio and he said, you know, each day I get up and I have to tell myself to put one foot on the floor. And he said, eventually one day I'll wake up and I won't have to remind myself to put my feet on the floor and get up anymore. And I feel like that's a a beautiful description of how grief feels. Like we have to literally tell ourselves what to do to function. And little by little, each day it gets a little bit easier until one day we wake up and we don't have to remind ourselves how to function. We just do it. So I am kind of in a pit of grief right now for a couple of different reasons. And I am going to share with you, I'm going to be extremely vulnerable. Uh, Trigger warning, I may cry a lot. I don't know. Um, A lot of this is still very fresh. These things happened just a couple of weeks ago. But I do also um, think it's important to share that it's still possible to find joy and grief in little bits and pieces. And that's kind of what I've been doing. And it's helpful, um, you know, to find the things that keep us going and the people who support us and uh, love us through these times. And that can make grief a little more bearable and able to get through. So long story short, uh, I, my wife and I recently uh, went through our first IVF cycle And I have not done a Fertility Friday segment in a while because of that. If anybody listening has ever gone through IVF or experienced it, you know that it is a lot on your plate, that there's definitely um, a lot of hormones and medications and appointments and procedures and all sorts of things that happen consistently, sometimes on a weekly basis, sometimes more than once a week. For me, it was a lot because um, also because of my thyroid issue, I had to see my endocrinologist several times and be in touch with him. And my body was just going through a lot of changes. Uh, The medications, um, you know, left me dealing with a lot of symptoms and side effects. And it just became too much for me. That was my number one focus. So that is a huge part of the reason why I actually didn't do any new podcast episodes in November, just because my mental was stressed out and not in a terrible way, just in a very occupied way. And I really needed to give myself uh, the clarity and the break to just rest. So I did a lot of resting. I did a lot of just relaxing and trying to allow myself to breathe easy, literally and figuratively. So we were really excited. Uh, We had two healthy embryos we wanted to transfer. 
and I was um, busy preparing my body for the transfer. And we were excited. We were hopeful. Everything checked out at every appointment. My body was preparing in a very healthy way to provide um, a home to our little embryo babies. And uh, so right before Thanksgiving, about a week and a half before Thanksgiving, uh, we went ahead and went through with the transfer. That was when we were scheduled. And we enjoyed the holiday. Um, we were able to just, you you know, spend the couple of weeks waiting, just relaxing and, you know, talking about all of the amazing things we were looking forward to. Um, and yeah, it was just an exciting time. I was enjoying uh, being pregnant until proven otherwise, or PUPO is the acronym for that in the fertility world. If you're listening and you understand that, then you'll be very familiar with that expression or the acronym. And so I was really um, going full force into creating habits and routine for my body. So I was going through acupuncture twice a week and just taking a ton of vitamins and supplements and, you know, exercising regularly and resting and eating things that were going to benefit my womb and my body. And I just really dove into uh, being pregnant. Um, and in the meantime, we were also dealing with some health issues with our puppy who was, um, if you've heard uh, in other episodes, he has been very vocal in the background before. His name was Bronx and Bronx was 18 month old Kane Corso. He was our gentle giant, our giant baby. And unfortunately he wasn't feeling well. So we were doing two different things at one time, caring for me and my body and my wife and I processing the procedure of IVF and the transfer and the waiting period. And then Bronx was also experiencing some health issues, not feeling well. Um, we had taken him to the vet a couple of times. They were trying to figure out what was going on with him. He was losing some weight because he wasn't eating very well. And it seemed like, um, you know, like he was nauseous, he was salivating a lot and just kind of looked like he was struggling swallowing as if he had like a sore throat and uh, things like that. So they thought maybe he had allergies or maybe he had like a respiratory thing that was, you know, upsetting his stomach, um, you know, because of all of the saliva and, and drool and things like that. So we had treated him a couple times. Um, and then we just weren't getting the right answers and it didn't seem like he was really recovering to uh, the point where we felt comfortable. And so we ended up getting a second opinion and taking him to another veterinarian who um, decided that she needed to sedate him so that she could do uh, an, a sonogram on his dental area, his mouth, his gums, his throat, and then also um, x-rays of his body just to make sure everything was okay with his insides and that he checked out. So we scheduled that um, and took care of that right around the same time as my transfer. So within these couple of weeks around Thanksgiving before and right around Thanksgiving, there was a lot going on in our home. We were worried about our puppy. Uh, we were anxious for my health and for the babies um, and to find out confirmation that we were pregnant and expecting. And, and if you followed my fertility journey, uh, on my Fertility Fridays posts, you'll know that this has been a long three years that we've been trying. So this has probably, not probably, this has been the furthest that we've gotten. So we were so excited and just 
banking on success and just celebrating this holiday um, in so many different ways. So uh, anyway, so we sent Bronx in, you know, to the doctor and she kept him for the day, ran a lot of tests and everything else. And unfortunately, she did find a big mass in his throat. Um, it looked like a big abscess. Something was causing it to grow. We thought maybe it was a bacterial infection. We weren't sure. So we went ahead and um, decided to put him on some really strong antibiotics and some pain meds uh, and anti-inflammatory to help with the inflammation. And, and he immediately started eating a little bit better. He was a little more energetic, seemed like he was feeling okay. And then about a week or so after that, he just kind of leveled off and uh, stopped eating. Well, he didn't stop eating altogether, but definitely hard, crunchy food um, was a problem for him. He was eating a lot of grass, which we realized was because something was upsetting his stomach. Um, and so there was just a lot going on with him. So we decided we needed to go ahead and um, get the mass uh, removed and cleaned out from his neck so that he could feel better because obviously the meds weren't fat working fast enough or doing enough for him to alleviate that. And he was a big boy and was losing uh, several pounds of weight, which we were not comfortable with at all. So... The morning that I went in for my blood test to confirm my pregnancy, uh, we also took Bronx to the veterinary hospital um, to schedule him for surgery. So I went in for my blood test, immediately went home, grabbed him, met my wife at the hospital. Um, we talked to the doctor, we talked to the nurse, and uh, we decided that surgery immediately was the best thing for him. We wanted to hurry up and get that cleaned up and minimized in his throat and neck area so that he could, you know, obviously heal and be comfortable and back to his good old self. So here's where <laughs> everything kind of took a frustrating turn or a, or a turn for the worse. And again, I do apologize. This is very fresh wound in a lot of ways for me. And I'm still processing everything uh, that's happened. There's a lot of reminders. Um, as you can tell, uh, sadness is coming. So um, anyways, we dropped Bronx off at the hospital. Um, they were going to do uh, surgery first thing in the morning. They were going to do a CT scan, or they did a CT scan, but it was scheduled for the first thing the, ne the next morning. So we left him at the hospital so they could get him situated and comfortable, and he could get a good night's rest. And they were going to give him some food and you know, medication to make sure he was comfortable and stable before his CT scan. And most likely, he was going to, to go um, immediately into surgery. <sighs> this is hard, y'all. <laughs> but I'm a firm believer that talking about it helps us process our grief. And also another reason why I wanted to do this episode was because going through what I've been through with our IVF and with our dog, um, there's so many other women and just people in general that I've talked to that are in the same boat or have, have been, ex, you know, in the same boat and experienced this. So if you're listening and you can relate, just know that there are so many people like us out there who understand. Um, and that's important to me uh, to share my story so that, you know, you're not alone anyways. So we dropped him off. I went home and on my way home, uh, from dropping him off at the hospital, 
the doctor's office called me. It had been a very long day. Mind you, this all of this happened over a span of several hours. So I had been waiting to hear uh, my phone ring <laughs> with the doctor's office you know, all day and had really been excited and anticipating great news and all sorts of stuff. So the doctors, the doctor calls me or it was my nurse. She calls me and she said, are you ready for your results? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And she said, well, unfortunately the blood test that you took this morning was negative, which means the transfer didn't take, uh, neither of the embryos implanted and you are not pregnant. So you can stop taking your medications and expect to have a period in a few days. And then she warned me that my period would probably be pretty brutal just because of all the medication and hormones in my body. And when she said that, I didn't really process it. Um, I heard it. I heard the words. I knew what they meant, but I guess I was in shock just because to me, there's no reason why this shouldn't have worked. And after everything we've been through and everything we've tried, this was banking on success. And even though I know nothing in the fertility world or even in the world of trying to conceive and have a baby is ever a hundred percent guaranteed at some point, you really do feel that this is it. And for me, it was that, that moment was it. And my heart broke. Um, I was devastated and I was just so disappointed because I had been treating my body like I was pregnant and feeling it and connecting to it and talking to the babies or baby, whoever, whichever one stuck. <laughs> and I was sad. And then I was just devastated that I was going to have to tell my wife the bad news. You know, we had both woken up that morning and we were like, we're going to get great news. We're going to be parents and we're going to get our our baby Bronx fixed and he's going to feel better. And this is a good day, you know, and that was blow number one. It was really disappointing. So we ended up going through the motions that evening, talking about it, processing it. And we've decided on a plan that's right for us moving forward in the future. Um, but that really hurt infertility and conception and all of that is such a roller coaster of emotions. And it just seems so cruel sometimes when all you want is to build and create a family and have a child and with this person that you love, that's your partner. And when it's so difficult and it's constantly a no and a disappointment and a not this time, it didn't work this time, another failure, another disappointment, like at some point you become numb to it, but it's still, there's still a break in your heart there. You know, and it's just really fucked up. So, so that was blow number one. So the next morning, uh, they did the CT scan and confirmed that Bronx did have a giant mass in his, on his, it was like in his neck and throat. And so they decided, you know, we're still, we're definitely going through with the surgery. We're going to clean it up. We're going to, you know, rinse it out, wash it out. And the doctor said, I'm going to go ahead and biopsy some of the fluid and tissue, you know, just to find out what kind of bacteria or infection or whatever it was is caused, you know, that caused this. And, you know, we'll get your boy up and running. I'm sorry, y'all. This is 
hard. So that's what he did. Uh, they did surgery and Bronx did really well during the surgery. He came out of the surgery recovered. Um, they kept him on oxygen for a little while and then he was breathing on his own. So he was doing good that way. His uh, vitals were struggling a little bit. His heart rate kept increasing and his blood pressure was a little bit high, but they were able to stabilize those things as well. Um, the only problem that he experienced was he had a breathing tube because uh, every time they took out the, well, they tr they tried once to take out the breathing tube and they said it was like he was breathing through a straw. There was a lot of swelling um, because of the trauma to his neck area. It was up against his esophagus. And so uh, they needed to keep the breathing tube in. So they kept us in, in the loop uh, until later that evening and then decided they wanted to move him to critical care um, so that he could be monitored very closely for the next 24 hours just because of all the swelling in his throat area. And they were struggling to be able to take out the breathing tube. They talked to us about doing a tracheostomy and putting in a tracheotomy tube. Um, they didn't want to do that. That was definitely like worst case scenario option, but the swelling was just increasing and there was a lot of inflammation. And so they had him on a lot of med medications. They had him sedated. Um, that evening or that night around 1130 or midnight, they tried to take the tube out again and he still struggled to breathe clearly. So they put it back in and sedated him a little more. And then around uh, 9 a.m. the next morning, I talked to the doctor and they said, you know, he was definitely stable. His vitals were improving. He was doing really well. Otherwise, the only thing was just getting the breathing tube out. So, um, you know, he said, we're going to try one more time. If not, we're going to have to do the tracheostomy and, you know, we'll have to keep him in for another couple of days just to make sure he's okay, but we don't want to keep him sedated with the breathing tube. That's not good for him either. So that was the plan of action. Um, and about 1230, the doctor called me and said, uh, we're going to go ahead and try to take the tube out soon. He's doing really well. And, you know, we want to see if he can tolerate it so we can get him going. And then about 30 minutes after that, the doctor called and said, uh, we tried to take the tube out because he started, he was becoming more alert and he started chewing on it. So he said, we tried to take the breathing tube out. He immediately couldn't breathe and we had to put the breathing tube back in, a new one back in. And he said, unfortunately, once we did that, his heart started racing really, really fast to the point where he went into a tachycardic arrest and his heart stopped. And they didn't have a pulse. So he said, do you want us to try CPR and to continue to revive him? And I said, of course, oh my God, like what the hell's going on? Yes, this is not the outcome. Like this is not what I'm expecting to hear right now. Save, save him, you know? And so he said, okay, we're going to continue to try, you know, we'll, we'll get your boy back. And he hung up. And 10 minutes later, he called me back and he said, we can't revive him. We're trying. We've been doing CPR for almost 20 minutes now. We've defibrillated his heart twice and we're getting no response. And he was like, I'm really sorry, but I think we should stop our efforts. This is not fair to him. And I said, okay, I was devastated. Uh, 
I didn't really know what was going on. Immediately, I had this like gut punch. Um, I couldn't breathe. I was confused. He was just supposed to be going in for a simple routine surgery to clean out an abscess. And he died. You know, he was only 18 months old. He was our baby. I didn't get it. And my just my first response was, I want to see him. And he said, come, you know, come over here right away. And you guys can spend as much time with them as you want. So I called my wife and I called my wife and she came home and picked me up and we drove over there. And that was the loudest silence that I've ever heard driving to see our boy's body and just anticipating with every milestone on the freeway closer to where he was at, going over the bridge, passing this exit, then this exit and getting closer and closer. I couldn't get there fast enough, but I also couldn't get there slow enough. Like it was terrible. So we got there and they put us in a room and they brought him in and man, that was really, really hard. I was not expecting to see him lifeless on a table, on a cold metal table. You know, we thought the next time we saw him, he'd be stitched up and bandaged up and happy to see us and tail wagging and and our boy was gone. If you're someone who has had animal family members, you understand my pain, right? This has been such a hard few weeks for me, processing the loss of not one, but two embryos didn't make it. And our puppy, who didn't even make it to two years old, all of that all at once is heavy, you know, and hard. And there's moments when I'm like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And then a song will come on or I'll see a picture or I'll go outside and see his favorite spot to run and have the zoomies or something will come across my news algorithm and I'll see baby clothes or supplies or things that we were hoping to start buying right now and preparing for. And it just, the grief just rushes over me and it drowns me again, you know? It sucks and it's hard. Um, about a week ago, week and a half ago, the doctor called me and he said, you know, I told you I was going to biopsy some tissue from the, the wound in Bronx's neck. And I wanted to let you guys know what the results were. And he said, um, Unfortunately, the pathology of the lymph node, I guess he submitted a lymph node with some of other tissue, came back positive for melanoma. So Bronx had cancer and it in the lymph node that they dissected, uh, the cancer that had spread to the lymph node had 
metastasis or metastasis. I don't know if I'm saying that the correct way. Please don't judge me. But basically meaning that that is not where it originated. So Bronx had cancer somewhere in his body that had metastasized to his lymph nodes and neck area. And now that we think about it, it makes sense. He was having a lot of gastric issues. He was salivating a lot. He was eating a lot of grass. We were having to give him anti-nausea pills. We have no idea where the cancer started, but it wound up up there and his lymph node got so um, inflamed and infected with the cancer that it the abscess just developed around it and started building up fluid and swelling and everything else in his tissues. And that's what was going on with him. Um, there's a little tiny bit of peace in knowing that there's nothing we could have done to save him, that it wasn't because we let him chew on a stick and he got a bacteria or something got in his throat and was infected and we didn't catch it right away. You know, grief comes with the what ifs. And we had a hard time living with that. What if we would have done this differently? What if we would have saw this in the beginning? What if we would have taken him to a specialist right, right away? Would he have lived? Would Could we have saved him? Is it our fault that he didn't make it? You know, grief is cruel in that way that it starts to trick you into thinking you could have done something to change fate. And that really kills your heart. So finding out the diagnosis was really sad because he was so young and I didn't even, I never even thought that our puppy, I've had dogs before. I've seen a few family members and, you know, my dogs die of old age and pass away from other things, but never a puppy with cancer. So it was a really hard, but it kind of took the weight of the guilt off our shoulders in some ways, in other ways, it was, had we known we would have loved him more, we would have spent more meaningful time with him. We would have done a few things different. That's hard too. I know he knew we loved him and he definitely was happy at our home. He was my little best friend. <laughs> but this grief that I've been processing is hard. There's levels to it. Um, and it just feels really unfair, but I'm making it. I'm making it through. I'm making it through because I have friends that I can turn to, because I have an amazing wife who comforts me despite her own loss and grief through this. We're able to turn to each other. I'm able to take time for myself and do things that I love to process it. I've gone to the beach. I've taken Winston to the beach. You know, we have another dog in the house who's also grieving. He knows his brother isn't here. He smells him. He sniffs him. We haven't quite put away all of Bronx's things. His crate is still out. His blanket's still out. We've created kind of a memorial for him. We do have his ashes in a nice little wooden urn. We're going to put a picture in it. And we've got a shadow box that has a paw print and plaster that the uh, veterinary hospital gave us. It's got a, a little baggie with a patch of his hair uh, that we put in there. We have a picture of him and his collar, his tag, his name tag. I'm glad that he's home here with us in that form, but I miss him. And I miss that I won't be able to raise my babies with their big protective brother Bronx. 
you know, so life this season, my most favorite time of year, Christmas. I look forward to Christmas every year. It's always so special. I love the lights. I love the trees. I love the music. I am that person. It's absolutely my favorite. And this has been the most devastating holiday season. And it feels so unfair. And I don't understand why. But it is what it is, right? I can't go back and change anything. I can only continue to move forward. I have to have moments like this where I can cry and be vulnerable and let my sadness out. I can't hold it in. You know, I had a girl's night with a really great friend of mine. I love her to death. She's so beautiful. And she's just been such a good friend to me since I met her here uh, in Jacksonville. And when we were planning our plans, we were, you know, talking about, do we want to do dinner in or at a restaurant? And I said, can we please just do dinner at your house? I'm such a mess right now. I know that anything we talk about, I'm going to cry and I'm not stable for public. (laughs) And it's true. My heart hurts on so many levels right now. But at the same time, I'm also blessed on so many levels I'm blessed to be able to have a support system. I'm blessed to be able to be in an amazing partnership. I'm blessed to have a beautiful home where I can feel comfort and solace and light my candles and play my music and and sit by the tree and put on the fire and cuddle with Winston. And those are things that bring me peace. Those are things that bring my heart peace in such a really hard time. And we've had to have difficult conversations. You know, what does our future look like? What does our future look like with IVF? What does our future look like with growing our family? Do we want to get another puppy? Do we want to try IVF again? All of these things are hard and costly and stressful, but they're all things that mean so much to us. You know, so having these conversations has been healing. It's helped us understand where our hearts really stand and that we're on the same page and that we want the same things and that we love our family in in the same ways. You know, so this has been a devastating few weeks, but also an enlightening few weeks. And I just have to share with you the things that still bring me joy. Um, just knowing that I wake up every day in a home that we've created and a home that I love, it does bring me joy because this is my comfort. This is where I am. Working from home brings me joy right now because I don't have to go sit in a cold, sterile cubicle or in somebody else's office and look out somebody else's windows. I can be here where I feel safe, where I feel okay to have a moment and step away. My friends bring me joy because they have been checking in on me. They've been beautiful. They've been supportive. They've been loving. It's so important to have a support system during really difficult times. I appreciate my family for listening and caring and understanding and sending their love and just being such a unit for me when I need them. That's my tribe. I am excited you know, for Christmas. It feels different and it looks different, but to me right now, it's bringing me a lot of happiness because there are still things about it that make my spirit smile. I've been able to watch my youngest daughter host a Friendsgiving. I've been able to watch her have friends over and do gift exchanges and pay it forward and cook and hostess and all of these beautiful things. And that brings me joy because 
I love to spread the joy and fellowship of the holidays and just seeing her take after me in that area is amazing. I had to take a minute and regroup and clear my sinuses and just kind of gather myself. Um, This has been a heavy episode for me. It's been a lot to talk about, but the reality is devastation, despair, disappointment, loss, grief, all of these things are very much a part of life. And we don't wake up every day and anticipate having to deal with these things. And they can be completely traumatizing, suffocating, debilitating emotionally, physically, in so many ways. And like I was just talking about finding joy in the little things for me is so important right now. Uh, Today, I actually get to go pick up my uh, daughter, Chloe, from the airport. She's home for the holidays. And over the next couple of weeks, we have so many things planned um, that we are going to do, um, you know, just to enjoy this time of fellowship with each other and being around each other. And I fully anticipate immersing myself in the experience emotionally, physically, Uh, It's what I need right now. It's what we all need right now. And so even in this episode filled with sadness and tears and sorrow um, and a very audible pain in my heart, I want to just also encourage everyone listening who understands what I'm going through or has been through it or knows someone who's going through it. Um, I just want to encourage you that finding the little things each day that we need to kind of mend the pain in our hearts is what gets us through. Um, I do believe that there's joy in my future. I believe that we will build our family and grow our family. Um, I believe that We'll find happiness in the things that we've longed for for so long and just fulfillment in each other and our loved ones um, and life along the way. So yes, it's been a really hard season for me, but I have to choose to see the things that still bring me joy and I have to choose to still believe in the future and have hope in that. And I will do that because I know that the days that I wake up and I feel hopeless and I feel like nothing will work out or everything will continue to be devastating and disappointing. Those days are dark. They're very lonely. They're very isolating. And they're very good at tricking me into thinking that every day will be that way. And when we start to believe that, that every day will be hopeless and unfulfilled and sorrowful, then we start to lose the will to want to live through it. And that to me is a scary place I don't ever want to be in. So for today, for now, I got some good cries out. Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for allowing me to be vulnerable and share that part of myself with you. Um, For those listening who know me or who don't, I just appreciate being able to trust in my audience that this is where I'm safe to share these things. And I am going to 
allow myself to continue to have these days. Again, there's moments when everything is okay and the pain in my heart is kind of in the background um, and I'm able to enjoy life and the things and people around me. And then there's days or even just moments when that pain comes barreling through to the front and makes itself known and I get overwhelmed and I have to allow myself to cry, to feel sad in those moments, to miss uh, my embryo babies that could have been and our sweet Bronx who once was. So such is life. Um, and even when it feels so completely unfair, I do know that there are so many things that it brings to my life that I am deserving of. I do want to share with you before I wrap up um, some grief resources, just because it's so important to be able to have a system to go to for comfort and support in grief. Um, grief is not kind. It is also uh, it also does not discriminate, and we have to be able to process it in healthy ways. For those of you who have lost in any way, shape, or form in your life, there is an online support group called Grief and Common. I think it's a great way to connect. There's resources for ways to process your grief. They also offer grief counseling um, as little as $9.99 per year to chat with other individuals who can help you process that grief and be a support system for that, if that's something you're interested in. For those of you who have lost a child or a sibling, there is the Compassionate Friends. And often when we think about IVF and failed transfers, a lot of people on the outside of that don't consider embryos children, but I'm telling you right now, when I found out that our transfer, our embryo transfer was not successful, I immediately felt like I lost a child or two children because we transferred two of them. My body emotionally and physically felt connected in a way that I was growing them and nurturing them as my children. So you can't tell my heart that that's not what I lost. And you can't convince me that those weren't a part of me um, maternally and my instinct, my maternal heart, my maternal spirit and, and desire to care and nurture for those embryos was just as strong as it was when I was actively pregnant with my other children and the emotional bond and love was there. So it is important to understand that if it feels like we've lost a child, we have. And I just want to uh, share with you the resource of the Compassionate Friends. Um, this is a support group online that is best for having lost a sibling or child or children. It's definitely something that can help process that grief as well. And of course, please seek out friends, family, support groups, places where you can feel safe to be vulnerable, to share how you're feeling, and where you can trust to go to when you really need someone just to listen, or maybe not even listen, just a shoulder to lean on or a person to cry to. It's important to understand and to know where we can go to in the time of need for those support systems. I'm here for you. 
I know that so many of you listening or other people out there understand and know the feeling of loss, of disappointment, of feeling hopelessness and grief and sadness. Um, So many know, unfortunately, everything that I'm feeling and going through. And for those of you out there, my heart goes out to you as well. If you are somebody who celebrates the holidays or doesn't celebrate the holidays, regardless, my wish and hope for you over these this next season of difficulty is that you can still find joy in the little things and that you can still hold on to hope even when it feels like there is no hope left. Thank you all again so much for listening to me today on this episode of the Unspoken Cycle podcast. I wanted to name it ho-hum for the holidays because that's just really kind of how I've been feeling and it just fit rightfully so. Please, again, if you have not yet, like and subscribe. I will be back on a more positive note in just a few weeks, but for now I'm taking time for me to process this and to just get through it. I wish you all an incredibly joyous holiday season, a very happy new year, and I will meet you there. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Unspoken Cycle with Leah Vaughn. Remember to embrace your female within and connect with our community at theunspokencycle.com. Until next time, take care.